You're listening to Titan Nature's Yellowstone, a podcast for those that don't get out, can't get out, or can never get enough. Sponsored by Think Tank Photo. Think Tank Photo designs camera carrying solutions for working professionals. Welcome to another episode of Tide to Nature's Yellowstone. This is your host, Adam Brubaker, coming to you with season two of Tide to Nature's Yellowstone. And I know I've had a lot of questions about doing this podcast and where was the next season and how come I quit. So I'm going to start off by answering some of that. Uh, my full-time gig, I am a tour guide or I run a tour operation in Yellowstone National Park. And in Yellowstone National Park, the busy season is from, well, it opens in April, really gets busy in May and goes through September or October. What happened that first year is I was just constantly going, trying to run a business during my busy season, keep everything going. It was my first year having actually guides that worked for me. And so I found out doing that and the podcast was just a little too much for me. So I decided to go ahead and put it off for this next summer and run the podcast in the wintertime. I'm going to do the same thing that I I did uh, in 2021, except for it's going to go through the winter 22, 23. And so I'm going to have about 25 episodes, same thing I did last year. Uh, it's about six months. That'll put me back into my busy season where I'm going to slow it down again. I'll pause the podcast and then pick it up again next November. It's kind of the plan. For all those that have reached out to me and told me that you've enjoyed the podcast and encouraged me to do it again, that you're looking forward to new episodes. I'm back. Thanks for that encouragement because I've been back and forth. I started uh, last year, recorded some episodes, and it just didn't work out. I think this is going to go a lot better moving forward. Coming back uh, with the episode one here of season two, just going to do some background, some intros. I'm going to talk a little bit about winter in Yellowstone, give you updates of what's happened in Yellowstone the last year since I've been off. And, you know, the other thing I want to mention is this podcast. When I put out the episodes, typically, I mean, I'm doing the the recording and releasing it within a couple days of each other. So every time you listen to an episode, most of the time, you know, everything that I'm telling you is up to date, to, you know, within 48 hours. I'm going to try to do that again this year. It's going to be a little tougher because I have some photo workshops this winter that I'm going to be participating in. So I'm going to try to record beforehand. If there's any way I can take the stuff to the hotel room and record why I'm there, I will do that. As I get back into this, please be patient with me as I kind of get back into the groove of things. And before I get into updates, I should mention this, how the podcast is going to run this year. It's going to be a very similar. It's going to be close to what I did last time. The one thing I'm going to run into is doing some interviews. So I'm going to try to get some interviews in here. Occasionally, I might have to forego an interview and introduce something new. Anyways, let's get to some updates on Yellowstone. The big thing that happened this year was in June of this year, we had some unprecedented flooding in Yellowstone, which closed the park down. It made national news. I'm sure anybody listening to that probably is familiar with Yellowstone being flooded. Now, what happened is from my understanding is it was something like three inches of rainfall accumulated with five inches of snow melt in a 24-hour period, which created this huge flooding, this huge flood event. The Park Service kind of knew it was going to happen. There were some roads that were closed in preparation for that, 
but nobody knew the extent of what was going to happen. If you haven't, I mean, get online and Google that if you haven't seen photos and things of it. There was roads that were completely washed out. There was roads that were washed out in five or six places. Most of the flooding that was really damaging to the park was in the northern range. But they did close down the whole park for a while. And they just needed to make sure things were stable, that bridges were good, that infrastructure was good. I know that they were worried about some septic or sewer systems in some areas. And that, I believe, is still an issue in some areas that they're trying to work on. They closed down for about a week, if I remember right. I mean, so with the amount of damage that was done, I got to give it to the Park Service for how fast they got us going and the plans they put together, communicating with us guides, as communities, and getting us back in the park as, as soon as they could. So Yellowstone was closed for about a week completely. Then at certain areas, really the southern side of the park, the north entrances were closed for quite a bit longer, were opened. Anybody with what's called a CUA, a commercial use authorization, meaning you have a permit to go into the park from the National Park Service, could just go in. Everybody else, for a while, they did what was a license plate system. So basically, the last number of your license plate was even. You'd go on even days. If it was an odd number, you'd go on odd days. And if you had a special license plate, I think they said it figured it was probably less than 3%, you know, with a, a letter or something, you'd go on those even days as well. And so that's how they ran the park, just to keep things down, to make sure things were operating well, and that they could handle the visitation. Slowly, they actually went away from that, opened it up. For the most part, the whole park, for a while, it was just the south opened. Then they started opening the north sections of the park incrementally. It took a little while, then they opened out to Slough Creek. And just on October 15th, they opened out through Lamar Valley to Cook City. And then two days ago, they opened the road from Mammoth to Gardner. So those two sections from Slough Creek to Cook City, you know, had a lot of damage they had to repair. And then there was a lot of damage and they actually had to just reroute the road from Gardner to Mammoth. If anybody knows where the old Stagecoach Road is, they have completely updated that and it is paved and it is open to the public. For a long time, what they were doing is to get people from Gardner, you know, the people with CUAs into the park to be able to continue business. They open that road at two different times during the day. So guys come in in the morning and leave in the evening and they could have the rest of the day to work on that road. So hats off to the park service. This was incredible what they did to get these roads open. When they first closed down, people were talking about a year, two years to rebuild these roads and to do things because of the extents of the damage and to be able to finish it in the summer. Not only the Park Service, but the crews that were working on that. It was incredible. So huge changes for the park this year as far as these roads, what was open, what we could access. With Lamar Valley being closed, that's that was you know my biggest concern as a tour operator. I want to take people, well, people want to come and see wildlife and typically that's our best area to see wildlife, especially for wolves and bears. And not having access to that, I was really worried about it. But I'll tell you what, during that time, we had some things pick up in other areas. I mean, we had a different wolf pack show up in an area and they were consistent. We had some bears out in some areas. So it was good to get us through the summer. It was incredible. And then it seems like this fall, it just tanked. So this is my wildlife update. We were doing pretty good this summer getting some things consistently, 
But this fall, as far as wildlife, I don't know if it was the flooding or it was ended up being a hot summer, hot fall, if that had anything to do with it. But it just wasn't quite like last year's as far as our wildlife. You know, and part of that is we didn't have Lamar Valley, um, which would have taken some of that pressure off. But, you know, for example, we always get elk along the Madison River. You know, it's a great place to find elk through the what's called the rut, their mating season in the fall. And they were there, but not visible. I mean, they were back in the trees. Um, really, you had didn't know where to look. So they weren't out in their usual places. And the rut seemed like it started a little late. Wolves on the southern side of the park. And they were around for a while at a distance at the rendezvous. We see the puppies. And then once they were gone, and I mean, they were gone. I went in, usually in the fall, you can find these wolves, the Wapiti Lake Pack. And I, I went in this fall, and I was last year was really good. I was hoping this year, and just, I mean, they were nowhere. A couple lucky people saw them occasionally, um, so non-existent there. The, you know, the three main packs that we're kind of watching this year, Wapiti Lake Pack to start with in Hayden Valley, the Junction Butte Pack to start with, um, you know, in their territory from Slough Creek to Lamar Valley which they were good. You know, again, they had a den that was visible, which was very nice. And then you had the Rescue Creek pack that had a rendezvous. Their puppies, it was very visible. That kind of, as everything else was disappearing, they they showed up and stuck around in the area, which was very good. And so those are the three main packs. Um, you know, the Wapiti, I couldn't give you much of an update. I just, I don't know who could. It's just, they've been invisible. The junctions have about 30 wolves in their pack right now. And I, I apologize. I don't remember what the, the numbers on the rescues, but other wildlife, you know, the, the, the bison rut was good. It was really nice because we had Hayden Valley for that. But during that time, they also had the road out to Slough Creek open with a lot of activity through there. Uh, so that was nice. Bears were slow this fall as well. Um, we had a couple around the lake that. They were good for a little while. It seems like they showed up a little late and could be to the heat. But through the rest of the park, I mean, this last little bit, we had one out in Lamar that was kind of consistent. Uh, we do have a black bear that's using a den site that was used uh, last year by a bear as well, which is a very convenient place. So that was neat. But uh, bear viewing was down a little bit this fall as well. I don't want to scare everybody away. I'm just trying to say, you know, for whatever reason, this fall, it was slower, but I'm looking forward to what this winter brings and next year, because every year is different, you know, slow this year and you never know what we're going to get next year. But, uh, and I said slow in the fall. I mean, I should say for me, I, I have a, a higher standard when I'm out every day. If you're visiting the park, I mean, we saw elk, we saw bison on these wildlife trips. We saw pronghorn, we saw mountain goats. Oh, mountain goats. I should mention that along the Madison. Places that I've never seen mountain goats consistently, you know, you get one here and there every year or so. I had mountain goats along the Madison River consistently this year, which was really great. So anyways, it, I mean, wildlife was good. Um, I was just expecting a little bit more as somebody that is in the park all the time. For a day-to-day visitor, I don't think anybody could tell the difference that uh, it was it was slow because you would go in and you could find you could find wildlife. But I guess they were just never doing what I expected them to do. So I think that's everything on the wildlife that I can think of as far as updates. Uh, uh, we had a couple coyote dens, a badger den again this year. That always happens in the spring. Uh, so it, w- it was a good year on the wildlife. 
just not what I expected. As far as the thermal activity, you know, not a lot of things, you know, change typically on a, a small basis. You know, Old Faithful's doing the same thing. A lot of the geysers are. Well, the one I will mention is Steamboat, you know, is definitely slowing down. Uh, this year, there's only been nine eruptions. And I think the last one was in September. Um, I was just looking at that. September 18th was the last last major eruption. Yeah, it's it's slowing down, but it's hard to say what it's doing. I mean, it could go back up, but some intervals will lengthen out. It's one of those things that looks like, you know, it's going to go dormant. Who knows again when it may erupt. But uh, again, that's even that's unpredictable. So other thermal things, I mean, I don't have a whole lot to update. You know, I guess, you know, I will mention uh, one change that I see, which is very intriguing to me, is if you're familiar with Dragon's Mouth, it's at the Mud Volcano area. And I think in, I mentioned this in past episodes, I believe I started last year. It was There's a cave-in where some of the rocks caved in, and it's changed a lot. So there was a big pile of debris there for a while. That water's washed out. It's kind of pushed it a lot. Created more of a dam than it had before, where it seems to be less water, less color. I say that one day, and the next day it can be completely different. Oh, it's neat to see those those little differences from day to day, week to week, year to year on the thermal activity in Yellowstone. Well, let's talk a little bit about winter. So winter's coming up. So today, which is November 1st, the day I'm recording this, the park closes. The roads are closed on the southern side of the park. Now, I, uh, let me go into this. If you're not familiar with this, how this works is the the west the south and the east entrance of Yellowstone close. And so all the roads on kind of the southern side of the park are no longer accessible until December 15th. And this doesn't have to do with flooding or anything. This is every year. The road from Gardner, Montana to Cook City, Montana is open year round and you can just drive it regularly. So it's still open. So that's the amazing thing about the crews working to get those roads open is because Cook City residents and Silvergate residents, their only way out in the winter is through the park. What they did to get access to that is incredible. Anyway, so the rest of the park will stay closed until December 15th when the park opens just for over snow travel, meaning snowmobiles and snow coaches. For the most part, you have to have a guide to get into the park in the wintertime with one of those vehicles. They do have what's called a self-guided permit for snowmobiles, the lottery system that you get it on, and it allows for uh, one group of up to five snowmobiles to come in per entrance per day. So, for example, I put in for the lottery to see if I could get some days. I put the days that I wanted, the preference, a small fee, and then a month later they say yes or no. In my case, it was no. So I didn't get any. But then on October 1st, they open it up for anything that's left over. People can come and first come, first serve. So I went back in and I got December 15th for one day. So on that, and then I also got three days in January. So what that means is I can rent, because I don't own, a specific type of snowmobile. Not every snowmobile is allowed in the park. It's a four-stroke, best available technology for emissions and noise levels and everything else. I'll take one of those sleds, can have a couple other people with me, and you have to show the pass and show that you have this permit as you go through the gate, and you can go spend the date in the park. 
you travel is only on roads. You're not going off-roading anywhere. So they groom those southern roads in Yellowstone. December 15th, that opens. And then it goes until March 15th when those roads close again as they start plowing and preparing for opening next April. So that's kind of how you can access the park in the wintertime. You know, for companies, I, I would recommend out of West Yellowstone would be cyellowstone.com. I would recommend requesting Bob as a guide. Uh, he's been with them for quite a while. Friend of mine, he's, I've worked with him. So I would, uh, if you're going to come to the park in the wintertime, want to do a snow coach, uh, definitely reach out to cyellowstone.com and recommend Bob as a guide. Out of the east entrance, um, there's only, I believe there's only one company that runs snowmobiles. I, I know who he is. I'm not for, as familiar with him, but I know he's been doing it for a long time. Out of the south entrance, there is Scenic Safaris. There is, I believe it's Old Faithful Snowmobile Tours. There's another one that does snow coach tours. It's Teton Science School. All right, just making sure, yeah, Old Faithful Snowmobile Tours, smaller company. I would definitely recommend them. Out of Jackson, um, out of the north side, uh, out of Cook City, I don't know anybody. They don't go into the park, but I know there's a lot of snowmobiling uh, into the National Forest there. And then out of the out of the north gate from Gardner, there's only one company run by Delaware North. That's how you get into the park, uh, you know, depending on where you're staying at. West is definitely the um, easiest entrance, uh, the busiest entrance to get into. You know, I mentioned that in the summertime, every Entrance has a great thing. In the wintertime, definitely recommend the West. A lot of that has to do with your day, how long it's going to be, what you're going to be able to see. Out of the South Entrance, I've done that. It's long. It's a long day. You get up early. You have to drive up to Yellowstone. Then you switch over to the coaches. It's it's a tougher trip. It is, especially on snowmobiles. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. If you're staying in that area and that's where you're at, does Tetons have a lot to do? Go for it. It's awesome. You won't regret it. But it is it is long. Same out of the east, you know, to get to Old Faithful. And the reason I say that, I mean, you're, the snowmobiles are can go at 35 miles per hour, and the snow coaches can go 25 miles per hour. That's what makes it long. Um, what makes it good, I mean, you, you get the good guides. Um, they know what they're doing. They have a lot to talk. Um, it just makes for a longer day. We're out of West. You're kind of right there, right off the bat. You're going to be, I'll be seeing wildlife. You're going to have a, you know, easier trip. It's only 30 miles into Old Faithful. So I shouldn't say anything bad about these other ones. I just, uh, the reality of it is on the other entrances, it is a longer day that you have. Um, anyways, beyond that. So I'm going to kind of talk to you from West Yellowstone, what kind of trip you would have. It would be very similar from the other ones, just different directions. Basically, most people offer two trips, an Old Faithful one. So you're going to Old Faithful and back, or you're going to go to the canyon and back. The reason, again, that those are the two options, whereas in the summertime, you can do the whole loop is because of the speed that you're traveling. And so typically, you know, a super cool tour out of West Yellowstone, uh, you're you know picking up around 8 o'clock in the morning, you're traveling in along the Madison. We have not seen elk there very consistently the last couple of years. For a long time, you would get elk along the Madison. You will get bison. Coyotes seem to sleep in for whatever. It seems like you don't often see the coyotes on the way in. You often get coyotes on the way out. 
Um, lots of waterfowl. You have a couple of rivers in the park, uh, the Madison, the Firehole, and the Gibbon on that um, kind of that south side of the park don't freeze over. Whereas the big rivers like the Yellowstone do. And so that waterfowl move to those smaller rivers. So it provides hunting opportunities for things like the coyotes that take advantage of that. Occasional bobcat, not as common as they used to be, but that's something that is a lot of guides are always kind of watching for. Other species, wolves, occasionally, again, um, not very common in the south. You know, every once in a while, um, you get a, a really good winter form where they stick out there a lot. A lot of it has to do with the food. A lot of their food, it's just you know, over 90% of their diet in the wintertime is elk. The elk are in that area, so the wolves have to go other places. But occasionally, you get them in there, um, and you get them for a day or two, and then they show up somewhere else. I'm trying to think of other species. I can't remember. I see bald eagles. And that's on the old faithful trip. That's kind of the wildlife you would see. Uh, if you were going to go to the canyon side, uh, we can often odd, add uh, otters and red fox to that. Nothing guaranteed, but those are something that we're looking for. Um, and that's, you know, I, I tend to go that way. And it's a longer day, again, from West Yellowstone compared to Old Faithful. But beautiful out that way if you make it in the Hayden Valley. That's what I'd consider more of the wildlife trip, your wildlife and waterfalls, I guess, compared to going to Old Faithful. Anyway, so as you're going in, you know, on the Madison, uh, it's very scenic. But then you, can, I, I always tell people that's where I'm kind of looking for wildlife on that. I'm going to Old Faithful. And then they have a warming hut set up at Madison Junction where they move a trailer in there and they have some snacks and hot drinks for sale. You know, for snowmobilers, it's a place you can get out and try to get them by the fire to warm up a little bit. And then they do have the nice restrooms open there in the wintertime. Now, that's kind of your split off point from to Old Faithful to the canyon. This is where you call Old Faithful. And because you're going so much slower, you got to say, you know, sometimes what I'll do is like, okay, you know what, guys, we just got to drive get to Biscuit Basin where we're going to get some phone service, decide if we're going to make this next eruption or not. So a little bit of driving up front there. And do that just because after you get Old Faithful, it's kind of a breath of you know a relief. It's like, okay, we got that. You don't have to worry about missing it or your timing anymore. Um, usually we do lunch in that area. Then on your way back out, you can slow it down, hit a couple geyser basins. Typically, you have time for two geyser basins. And, you know, part of that depends on how cold it is. It's not as far as the time, but, you know, what people are willing to do. If it's negative 20 outside and it's windy, it's hard to get out of that vehicle. I mean, it's one of those trips you got to dress warm for. Now, that doesn't happen very often, but there are days that you can show up and it's negative 20 and it is cold. Oh, you got to be prepared for cold weather on these trips. I mean, it is, you're walking on the snow, so tennis shoes are not advisable. And well, let me get into what winter looks like a little bit later. But so basically, that's your Old Faithful tour. You're watching Old Faithful. Nice thing is you can watch it from the visitor center. You can sit outside and wait. You can watch it from the visitor center. So there's options. There's yurts there. So there's a restaurant, the hotel open. Um, you can get shuttled into. So plenty of options to keep warm throughout the day. Now, going to Canyon, this is where, you know, it's a little longer trip there, especially if you go into Hayden Valley. Kind of the, the big thing there is seeing the lower falls and the upper falls in the Grand Canyon of Yellowstone. Those waterfalls just about freeze over in the wintertime. And then getting into Hayden Valley, you know, sometimes that can be iffy. A lot of that depends on the wind. If it gets windy in Hayden Valley, it is 
it is brutal out there in in the winter time. Um, invisibility, the road conditions, you know. So more often than not, you can get in there and you get some beautiful blue sky days. Uh, you just never know what the conditions are down there. So if you can do Hayden, you know, sometimes we try to do Hayden Valley. There's been times I'm able to make it down to Mud Volcano and see that. The visitor center is open for as the warming hut. They put tables in there to eat in there. That's usually for snowmobilers first and then coaches later. Just because we as coaches, we have our vehicles as a, an option to eat in if it is cold. Uh, and then Norris Geyser Basin is one that a lot of people like to stop and do a little walk there as well. That's the one that holds Steamboat Geyser. Uh, I think most, a lot of us as guides like to do Porcelain Basin in the wintertime, which is a great little walk. And then you're kind of back out from there. So that's the very basics of it. Kind of give you some background on the winter, uh, the weather and the snow. There's a few places as the snow builds up, the Park Service actually shovels. That's at places like the canyon, at the the viewpoints. I'm trying to think of, seems like they were somewhere else. Maybe not because they don't shovel around Old Faithful. They they will do around the visitor center and the cement sidewalks and the boardwalk itself. It's not. Um, so you're you know people are breaking trail out there, breaking trail around the boardwalks. So you know tennis shoes are not great because your feet are probably going to get wet. You want you know what you want to be prepared for as far as dressing is boots. Thermals, you know, layers, thermals, regular layer, you know, snow pants, snow coat, hat, gloves. That's what I wear. I mean, sometimes in the vehicle or out, I get warm, but you're in the snow. I mean, if you're not wearing that stuff. How can you jump in the snow? How can you do snow angels? How can you? That's what I like to do. And I got to prepare for, you know, to do other stuff with the vehicle just in case something happens. I got to lower pressure in tires because of the snow or raise that pressure. I might be in the snow anyways, but. You know, if you're going to be in the out there in an area with snow, yeah, dress for it. Uh, the depth of snow, you know, as parts of the year as you get off that snow coach, you're on a groomed road, and you take a step off that groomed road, and all of a sudden you sink. And I always try to warn people about that. It seems like every year you get a couple people that step off that road, and all of a sudden they're up to their their knee or their thigh in snow, trying to swim out of it. So we do get quite a bit of snow. In the park in general, it's anywhere from 70 to 400 inches, depending on your elevation. You know, the canyon area typically is where you're going to get the most amount of snow um, you'd be at. And uh, the mammoth area is where you're going to get the least amount of snow. Temperatures, um, you'll get everything. I mean, from, well, everything. So 30s, you know, maybe up in the 40s, even a little warmer sometimes. Once you get into February and March, you know, and you start to get, you know, the snow melting and the road base leaving, um, January, it's easy to get negative 20, but, you know, usually that's first thing in the morning and negative 10, negative 15, but that's, that lasts for just a little while, a week or two, you get those really cold temperatures, which, you know, I, I enjoy It's part of the experience. I think the coldest I've been out in that, uh, in Yellowstone is one morning. I think the temperature read about negative 36. Anyway, so that's kind of the basics of winter in Yellowstone. You know, I, I dove, I've done the snow coaches before, uh, and I did it for several years. I love it, but it was time for me to step away from that this last year, and I'm starting to work on my own thing. Um, kind of an update, I guess, from Tide to Nature. You know, running tours in the summertime, 
and starting to do more in the wintertime. But in the wintertime, mostly it's going to be photography based. So photo workshops just, you know, run by myself as well as I'm working with other people. And it's, it's something I'm excited about. And that's, I really love photography, be able to share that with other people and go in with like-minded people to do some photography. I'm looking forward to that. Although at the same time, I am going to, I'm going to miss being in the winter almost every day. So I like to keep on, you know, keep track of what's going on. I have friends that'll be in and I can talk to. And actually, I'll be not in the interior every day, but you know, January I have a, you know, a ten days that I'll be in in the park straight for, followed by a couple four day things. So I'll still be in a lot, but just not as as mo as much as I typically. And you know, actually, the other thing I I'm really excited for is uh, I'm putting together a trip next year to go to Africa. Um, a, a photo workshop in Africa. Going to go to Nimbia in South Africa and do a landscape and wildlife workshop, which is a little different. And I know that's not Yellowstone, but Yellowstone is incredible. But what I hear about Africa and the diversity and the density of wildlife, basically, from what my understanding, outside of Yellowstone, that's the the next place. So you know, Yellowstone's kind of second to that for your density and diversity of wildlife. And so I, I'm excited for that because it's, um, you know, it's a different ecosystem. I spent a lot of time in this ecosystem, which I love, um, but it's also neat to get out and see something different. So I'm looking forward to that and um, looking forward to taking some people and doing some photography in Africa next year. Uh, again, you know, I wanted you know, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being patient with me as I've got this next episode or this next season going. And I look forward to doing this. And again, you know, I look forward to hearing from you guys. I've had people stop me um, numerous times. I had one guy sitting there looking at me was I was uh, um, I wish I remembered his name. Nice guy. Chatted for a second. But it was kind of funny. He was he was kind of looking at me and I was talking to my my guests. So I was at Old Faithful and he came up to me and says, you know, I recognize your voice. Been listening to your podcast. So and, you know, I've had people recognize my my voice, my you know, hat says tied to nature. So if you do see me out there, feel free to reach out. You know, if you find me on Facebook or Instagram or YouTube, you know, send me a message. If you're coming to Yellowstone, uh, send me a message. If you know, if you can't do a tour or something, just hey, you know, we're going to the park. Where should we go? What should we see? I, I'd love to to meet you, and I appreciate you listening. And definitely pass the podcast cast on to others to enjoy as well. So. Again, thanks for tuning in to uh, another new episode of Tied to Nature's Yellowstone. Thanks for listening to Tied to Nature's Yellowstone, the podcast for those that don't get out, can't get out, or can never get enough. Keep up to date with Tied to Nature and Think Tank Photo on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube.